Welcome to Squares and Sharps. I am your host, Karan Bhatia. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to be breaking down UFC 251. It's the massive UFC card that's coming up from Abu Dhabi. It's stacked top to bottom. And we know, of course, at the top, Usman versus Masvidal for that welterweight championship fight. Can't wait for that. But the entire card is stacked. And I'm going to be speaking to some of the top minds in MMA analysis and sports betting. So you don't want to miss that. But first, we are powered by squaresandsharps.com. It's sports betting apparel and gear. Check it out. It's what winners wear. So I will be speaking to Dan Levy. You know him from bestfightpicks.com. We're going to get his analysis on the entire card. He's going to talk about where you can find value in the prelims, the early prelims, and of course, the main card. Then I will be chatting with Z, also known as at RockstarZ, ZsMMA.ca. You've seen him on YouTube. You've seen him on Twitter. We're going to get his thoughts, his picks, where to find value on this card. And finally, I'll be talking to Adam Newsom. You know him from at MMAplay365, Newsom underscore MMA on Twitter. He's also going to break it down, give us his perspective, look at the numbers. So we're going to break everything down, get you ready for this big UFC 251 card. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRAN2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps, and I am joined by Dan Levy, bestfightpicks.com, Half the Battle Podcast. You can see him on Twitter at best fight picks dan how are you doing my man doing amazing man i really appreciate you having me on not only your podcast but the first ever episode so it's an honor to be on here and you picked uh you couldn't have picked a better card <laughs> you know that was a little bit by design uh we are launching this show and we want to talk betting we want to talk process backstory but we have this huge event uh coming up and we have to talk about it so ufc 251 it's from abu dhabi um it's crazy man i mean this is one of the most stacked cards in ufc history probably right yeah i mean you know it's funny you ask that because i feel like i say that almost every single <laughs> card every time that there's a big card it always feels like the most stacked it always feels like the biggest and that's the beautiful thing about this sport that it's never like oh man the fights used to be so much better back in the day or this or that the sport keeps evolving the athletes keep getting better and the way that these guys are fighting nowadays man the level that these guys are on it's uh it's better than it's ever been so there hasn't been a better time to be a ufc fan than now 
no, I, uh, I'm a huge combat sports fan, love boxing, love MMA and UFC, their ability to match up the best fighters against each other is great. And then what happens sometimes like in this main event, when one of their <laughs> main event fighters, uh, can't make it, boom, we got someone else. It's crazy. Um, and so obviously we're going to talk about, uh, some of these fights on this main card. So main event, we all know we got Usman. He's a bad man. He's a champion at welterweight. And last minute, we know Masvidal, our boy Jorge Game, uh, Gamebred Masvidal, is jumping in. Uh, he's got the Versace robe on his way to Abu Dhabi. Um, let me ask you this. It's, we love it that he's stepping in on short notice. Uh, and, and it's amazing because he, he's, in a way, you could say, saving the main event. Um, it's, it's quite the BMF thing to do, even though that title won't be at stake. Um, but he does need to lose 20 pounds in five or six days. Is that going to play a factor? You think? Not at all, man. I mean, it's not like he's got to lose actual 20 pounds to like lose the weight. It's more so water weight. So they do this thing called weight cutting and he's going to lose it all in the sauna. It's not going to be a big deal at all. I've seen guys cut 25 to 30 pounds before. So, you know, he might be a little bit dehydrated on Friday, but you know, they'll put some fluids back in him and he'll be good to go Saturday night for sure. And in terms of, you know, your process, when you're looking at a, at a fight like this, if you're uh, trying to make a play, uh, make a bet, there, there's a lot of things around it. And I'm just curious as to what, um, what do you factor in? Obviously, who these guys are, their record, but there's been recent developments. For example, Mike Brown, um, who is one of uh, Jorge's coaches, who has been with him for a long time. He tested positive for coronavirus. He's not going to be there anymore. Is that going to make a difference, you think, in this fight? Not at all, because when you're talking about a guy like Jorge Masvidal, this is a guy. So we talk about how, you know, he got the short notice call. Right. And we consider it six days to be short notice. Well, this is a guy back in the day was pulling up to the McDonald's drive through. And if you think six days is short notice, how about six minutes? They call him. They're like, hey, we got a street fight for you right now down the street, you know, in the backyard in Miami somewhere. So this guy is used to taking fights on a moment's notice. As far as his coach not being there. Well, look, Mike Brown, he's a legend. He's actually a former WEC champion, beat your eye favorite twice back in the day but this isn't Mike Brown's fight this is Jorge Masvidal's fight so I don't think he needs anyone but himself I mean the guy's had 40 pro fights so you know he's got enough experience to go out there and what happens in the cage is a completely different story but for him to just get in there I think he's good to go so here's another thing I wanted to ask you uh a lot of these fights more recently when after UFC came back from, uh, you know, the global pandemic, they were one of the first sports to come back, if not the first. Uh, no fans, obviously. They started off in Vegas in the UFC Apex. So they would have a main event around a normal time. Now, I was looking at when this main card starts. 10 p.m. Eastern time is what it said for UFC 251. Now, Abu Dhabi time, I looked that up. I, and, uh, I, you know, my math may be off here, but I think that means the, the main card starts at 6 a.m., local time to Abu Dhabi, which means they may not fight until 9 a.m. Does that matter, you think, in terms of just uh, a fighter's approach, their, their, you know, kind of their sleep schedule, things like that? Well, I'll tell you this, man. If if Jorge Masvidal was fighting a guy that was from Abu Dhabi, then that's a huge advantage for, you know, the resident because it's like he's on the time schedule. He's good to go. But in this case, I kind of view it as an even playing field just in that factor because it's like, Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal both came to Abu Dhabi around the same time. So both these guys are going to be dealing with uh, some serious jet lag. But to kind of make an example of what you're talking about, let's say these fights were in Russia and Jorge Masvidal was fighting a Russian in Russia. Well, now it's a different story because the Russians used to that time zone and uh, 
Jorge would be the one that has to adjust, but here they both got to adjust. So I don't view that as a factor in this specific fight. They're both dealing with that. As you said, they're both dealing with this Island. This, uh, I think they said it's going to be like a 10 mile bubble. So it's a different situation for everyone um, who's there. So when this, uh, this fight came together, uh, right now it's looking like Usman is, is a pretty big favorite. Um, that's, that's what it's been like. He's the champion. He's been preparing for a fight. Um, so that makes sense. Um, what do you think about the odds for this fight? What, do you, what are you looking at in terms of this fight? Well, this specific fight, I would personally pass as a fan and as a betting man because I also favor Usman. I think he should be favored. But right now where the line is, that that's kind of where I line it myself. So I don't really think there's much value on the Usman uh, side. You know, it's okay to sit back and enjoy these fights as a fan because, look, stylistically speaking, and, and you look at the stats and everything is going in Usman's favor for this matchup. But you, you look back at a fight, you know, UFC 199 between Michael Bisming and Luke Rockhold, and you could say the exact same thing. All the stats are in Luke Rockhold's favor. You know, Bisming took the fight on a week short notice, and sometimes the universe, uh, you know, makes a, makes a case for these guys, and it can be the culmination of a, of a career's accomplishment. Like, this could be his big moment. But, yeah, statistically speaking, the odds are not in his favor at all. I mean – He's got a size disadvantage. We know that. Look, if Usman comes out here and wants to stand and bang with Jorge Masvidal, then, then it's a completely different fight. But knowing Kamaru Usman's style, I, I think he's going to try to, you know, do a wrestling-heavy game plan, try to grind him out, kind of make it a little bit of a boring fight. And if he does that, he does have a big advantage here. It's just that, you know, with a guy like Masvidal, who's truly paid his dues, you, ne you never know uh, what the universe has in store. So I cannot wait as a fan to sit back and enjoy this fight, man. You got to beware of these guys who get the last minute call because they have nothing to lose here. If he loses this fight, he had six days, you know, he's still right in the picture. He's still BMF champ. Uh, there's still maybe another fight with uh, Nate Diaz. There's, there's Nick Diaz, possibly. There's so many options for Masvidal. I, I look at it as, as a win-win situation for him. And I think, speaking of Diaz, I think he had 11 days notice before he beat Conor McGregor. Um, so you, you never want to count out the guys who have this short notice. Uh, I want to look at other, some other fights on this card. You know, Holloway and Volkanovski, it's a rematch. I just wanted to ask, ask you, I mean, as someone who, as a sports better, when you have a rematch, I mean, I feel like that's a lot of data to have. Do you look at it that way that you have like now a full set of data to, to look at? Oh, no doubt about it, man. And historically speaking, the rematches favor the person that won the first time. And you take it a step further, in this specific uh, instance, in a title fight, you know, Max Holloway was a long-reigning champion, and historically speaking, long-reigning champions, once they lose their belts, they don't often come back to regain them. So, yeah, I, I definitely look at that kind of stuff. And, you know, Volkanovski is a guy I bet on him at underdog odds against Max Holloway the first time. I bet on him at underdog odds against Jose Aldo in Brazil. And then here against Max Holloway the second time, I think he's the rightful favorite. I, I think the line's accurate. I think there might even be some value on uh, Volkanovski because when you really look at this stylistic matchup and, and you look at a guy like Max Holloway, he's known for that incredible output. He can push the pace all five rounds. And, you know, you start to show a little bit of weakness on a guy like Max Holloway. He'll start pointing to the ground. He'll, he'll tee off on you. He'll embarrass you. The thing is, Volkanovski never slows down. He, uh, and it's funny because the one biggest strength that Max Holloway has or what he's known for is his output. And interestingly enough, uh, Volkanovski cannot just match the output. He can exceed it. So he can literally do what Max Holloway does, but even better. And I just think it's a bad matchup for Max Holloway. 
you know, it really could be a, ma- a bad matchup for him. And I-, I wanted to ask you about the mental aspect of it also, because it's an immediate rematch, right? These guys just fought in December, if I'm not mistaken. So that's not that long of a time, especially with what's been going on, because I, the entire world has kind of been on pause since March. Um, so it-, it wasn't that long ago. Does that play a factor, you think, mentally, just knowing that for Holloway, uh, not that long ago, this-, this person beat you, and now you're just trying to do it again? Yeah, but it's a little bit different on his side because what I've heard from him, he's in denial almost. He feels like he was robbed in that fight, which is like completely delusional. If you watch that fight, it's pretty clear who won it. You even look at the numbers too. So it's one of these cases where, you know how I was talking about how long-reigning champions don't often reclaim their belts? To take it a step further, for whatever reason, I don't know why, long-reigning champions, after they lose, they, they go through a spell of delusion where, you know, they feel like, I didn't really lose, and I'm still the champion, and this and that. You look at Joanna Young-Jacek. When she got knocked out in the first round by Rose Namajunas, she's saying she didn't really lose. Then they have the rematch against uh, Rose, and she loses a five-round decision. She says she got robbed on the scorecards. You look at a guy like Chris Weidman, gets brutally knocked out three fights in a row, and then he's saying stuff like, I can be the guy to dethrone John Jones. I can be the guy to dethrone Israel Adesanya. It's like, guys, you need to be more humble and understand the reality of what's really going on. And right now, the stuff I'm hearing from Max, uh, I'm not liking it at all. Whereas you look at Volkanovski, and he's not underestimating Max at all. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not you know, relying on the fact that, oh, I already beat him once. I don't got to train this time. No, he's taking it extremely seriously. He's got a goal to prove. He wants to prove that. Look, I already showed I can beat him over a five-round duration. Now I want to go out there and finish him. So that, that's a new goal for him, whereas Max is doing the whole, uh, I thought I got the fight. And then you look two fights prior where Max fought Dustin Poirier, and that was a clear decision for Poirier. And Max even acts like he won that fight too. So there's a lot of delusion from, uh, you know, from these long-reigning champions. It's a fine line, right? Because as a fighter, when you step into, whether it be the boxing ring or an MMA cage, you need to have that immortal confidence that, that you know, nothing, you can't do anything wrong because you're going into combat with someone else. But to your point, you got to be a little bit self-aware. And if someone beats you, beats you fair and square, you got to kind of just tip your cap and that'll help your preparation for the rematch. Cause you say, I need to make adjustments. Let me watch fight one. What can I do better versus, Oh, I won that fight. I'll just try to do the same thing. So I wanted to ask you about the rest of the card as well. Uh, another big fight, bantamweight title, Peter Jan versus Aldo. Um, what are you looking for in this fight? How would you kind of assess this one? This is a really interesting fight because before I, you know, dove into my research, I was thinking Peter Yan's probably easy money. You know, the guy has got an aura about him. He just definitely seems like he's a future champ kind of guy. And I think no matter what happens Saturday, whether win, lose, or draw, I think Peter Yan is a future world champion. It's just that Jose Aldo is a guy that's often counted out and he's still damn good. I mean, you saw his last fight against Marlon Marais, and it doesn't matter who you scored it for. That that was Jose Aldo right there. That was a very, very dangerous guy. He looked like a top 10 bantamweight to me. So it's one of those situations where Peter Yan, he's ran through everybody he's fought. It's just this is the biggest step up in competition he's ever faced. And there's been a lot of, you know, defensive flaws that could be exposed. And a guy like Aldo who hits like an absolute truck could definitely capitalize. The only thing here, man, is that historically speaking with Aldo, his biggest criticism is that he kind of slows down in the later rounds. And one thing about Peter Yan is that he can go, go, go for days. So I think the early going of this fight is going to be competitive. It's going to be back and forth. But where I think that Peter Yan has the edge is if he can survive and not get knocked out in those first two rounds, I think he's going to take over in the third, fourth, and fifth. That's great analysis. And I'm looking at the odds right now. It looks like Yan is at 
205 favorite. Um, Aldo plus 175. What do you think about where those numbers are at right now? Yeah, no, I mean, they make sense. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad that they didn't disrespect Jose Aldo too much. You know, if they would have made Peter Yan minus 300, minus 400, then we maybe, you know, consider taking a look at the Aldo side. But here, I, I think the odds are appropriate. It, again, it's okay to pass and, and enjoy a fight. You know, if you don't feel like you have value, there's no need to force anything. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with uh, enjoying a nice adult beverage and sitting back and watching a good fight. Um, another rematch on the card, Jessica Andrej versus Rose. Uh, fight one, do you, you know, we were talking about data, looking at a, at a first fight. Was fight one a fluky ending, in your opinion? And if so, how does that uh, change your perspective on, on the rematch? It was not, and I'll tell you why. So she knocked her out with a slam. Now, do I think she's going to knock her out with a slam again? No, I don't. But the reason why I do not think it's a fluke is because it's not like she just, you know, picked her up one time and slammed her. She slammed her three times in that fight. And the third time was when she knocked her out. And if you look at Rose's history, like, for example, she fought in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from, against a, a young lady named Karolina Kovalkovich. And I bet on Karolina at plus 215 odds there. The first round kind of went down like this first round with Andrade, where Rose is teeing off. Rose is styling. Rose looks like she's got this big edge. The thing is, if you can hang in there, if you can be durable, if you can get past those first five minutes, Rose starts to slow down, and that's where you can take over. So this wasn't the first time I've seen that kind of thing. I saw that in the Carolina fight where Carolina was able to take over the second and third round. And I truly believe, man, had uh, Andrade not slammed her there, that she would have taken over in the second and third because it's kind of disheartening when you're hitting someone with your absolute best shot and they just keep coming forward without a care in the world. Now, I want to point out a couple of things in this fight. So firstly, the, the first time they fought, Andrade was a minus 120 favorite, okay? And she went out there and knocked her out in under one and a half rounds. This time, she's plus 175 to plus 200, dog. I, I think that's completely off. I think this is a dogger pass situation. This is a spot where you roll the dice and put a bet on Andrade. And look, she might win, she might lose. But the bottom line is, if you capitalize on spots like this long term, you're going to profit because this line is completely off. There is value on Andrade. Like, I cannot justify how Andrade was a favorite the first time knocked her out in under one and a half rounds, and now she's a huge dog. Like, again, I get that Rose had success early, but Rose has had success early in a couple of her losses too. So this is nothing new for me. Now, the other thing I got to point out, the kind of red flag on the Andrade side, is that there might be a chance her chin is cracked. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it wasn't just the Rose fight where she took all that damage up front. You know, a couple of her other wins she did, you know, the Claudia Gadelia fight, the Tisha Torres fight. You know, those first rounds, she's kind of a slow starter. And then in her subsequent fight after the Rose fight, she got knocked out in the first round by Wiley Zhang, the current champion. So we kind of got a question, you know, is her chin cracked? Can she still take the shots like she used to? Because if she can still take the shots, man, she's got a good chance to win this fight. But regardless, when you see odds like this, this is a spot where you roll the dice and, and try to find out what happens. Absolutely. I mean, chin cracked, it's such an interesting concept in combat sports. You, you know, certain people have a, a rock solid chin, other, you know, some, some people don't. It's not necessarily tied to strength or anything else. Sometimes it can just be kind of your, your skeleton, your structure, what you can take. Um, and then to get it cracked, and then you don't know if it is or it isn't. Um, Manny Pacquiao got knocked out years ago, uh, fat, flat in his face, and he was able to come back from that. And he's still on top of the top of the game, on top of the division. People thought, oh, his chin's cracked. He's not going to be the same. So that is a question mark. But to your point, there's definitely some value there. So rounding out the card, the main card that is, uh, we have Paige Van Zandt versus Amanda Hebas. 
Page has been inconsistent a little bit, right? There's been some injuries. There's been some other things going on, Dancing with the Stars, things like that. Um, and I'm looking at, at the odds right now, at least when we're talking. I believe this is the, the widest on the main card. Um, and please correct me if I'm long, uh, wrong. I'm seeing Page as a, as a plus 600 here, uh, Amanda minus 900. Um, what do you think about that, that opener there? It's correct. And I'll tell you why. Because look, a lot of people have been messaging me like, hey, dude, should I take the shot on Paige Van Zandt? Is there value on Paige Van Zandt? No, there is not. What's going on in this spot is that the UFC, or firstly, Paige Van Zandt's on the last fight of her contract. Uh, they're not going to re-sign her. They're sick of her bullshit. And basically what they're going to do here is they're going to set up one of their future stars with a highlight reel finish on the first fight of the main card. Amanda Rebos is going to go out here, destroy Paige Van Zandt, and then they're going to build her into a star and get rid of Paige Van Zandt. So, no, the, the line is not off at all. I mean, Paige Van Zandt has been deteriorating every single fight. She was never that good to begin with. And Amanda Rebos is someone who has been showing big improvement. She's got a well-rounded skill set. And uh, I think she's going to come out here and dominate this fight. So, yeah, I'm not personally going to lay minus 900, but I'm also not going to give the bookies free money by taking that shot on Paige Van Zandt. And, you know, with Paige, she was on Ariel's show talking about how on Dancing with the Stars, she made more money than she ever did uh, in the UFC. I'm sure the UFC isn't uh, too happy about that. Like you said, you know, maybe they just kind of want to get rid of her after this fight. But we all know, you know, when there's plans, other things can happen in the cage and that can change things. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see. Um, I did want to ask you about the last fight on the contract. I mean, I feel like that's, that's a very interesting concept because it means, you know, something's going to, there's more on the line than, than is, than it is a normal fight. Now, in this case, it seems like it's not necessarily like Paige definitely just wants to be in the UFC and she's going to train extra hard for this fight because she wants to stay in the UFC. It seems like she's content with seeing what's out there in free agency, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And real quick, just to backtrack, you know, this whole, uh, I got paid more on Dancing with the Stars than I did with the UFC. Hey, Paige, who got you that Dancing with the Stars deal? You know what I mean? Who, who got you that opportunity? So it, it's just one of those things where, you know, the girl's kind of delusional. She was never that good. And, you know, she wanted to be promoted and marketed in a certain way. And the UFC is like, well, you don't really bring much to the table. You know, we tried and it didn't work out. So, you know... It, it's going to be interesting to see if Ryzen or Bellator are, are interested in her. And, and as far as your point with it being the last fight, yeah. Like if we're talking about Dustin Poirier on the last fight of his contract, then yeah, man, he's going to come in there with a fire. But with her, I, I don't know. I don't care if it's the first fight or the last fight. It doesn't matter. She's losing this fight. So I know that obviously with what you do in sports betting, the main card is just a small part of it. Um, can you, you know, there's names on the, on the prelims, the early prelims that we've heard of. Anything that sticks down to you? Any, any value down the rest of the card that you see? Yeah, 100%. Uh, my top flyweight prospect, Howley and Paiva. You got to check this kid out. He is a stud. He's huge for the weight class. He's super exciting. He's just one of these all-action, all-violence kind of guys. And he's got this opponent, uh, Zalgas. Zumba Gulov, who it's funny when you see guys that, you know, the last two letters of their last name are OV, you know, of, right. You think of the Russians, you think of the Kazakhs and man, like these guys are historically known for being tough outs, but this guy, Zuma Gulov, I don't think he's that good. And I think he's being hyped just because of his name. Like I think Paiva should be a bigger favorite in this spot actually. So yeah. And regardless of, you know, put aside the betting stuff, just, as you know, someone to watch, Howley and Paiva, man, that's a serious prospect in the flyweight division. It's funny because you look at his official record and it says he's one and two in the UFC, but you actually watch those fights. And so he fights Kai Kara France in New Zealand. Kai's from New Zealand. And 
He wins the fight, but they score it for Kai. Then the next fight, he fights Hogeria Bontarin, and the ref, you know, his name's Osiris Maya. He makes it the Osiris Maya show. You know, the fight happens in the first round. The, the ref stops it three on three separate occasions. You know, he checks a cut on both guys, and he restarts them in the wrong position. He, he Basically, the ref ruined that fight, and I'm under the impression that had that fight been anywhere else, it would have had a different outcome, just like the first one. So we could be looking at Howley and Paiva being 3-0, and but the fact that he's 1-2 and kind of, like, um, messes up, you know, people's perception of him, and now he's at a lower line than he should be. He should be a way bigger favorite in this spot. So – definitely he's one to look out for and then also there's a really good showdown in the light heavyweight division between Volkan Uzdemir and the newcomer uh Jiri Prochaska and basically Volkan Uzdemir he fought for the title before he's a top five guy at 205 but this kid Jiri you know when you see these guys coming to the UFC you often question you know do they have enough seasoning do they have enough experience do they need a little more time on the regional scene before they make their UFC debut this guy's had 30 pro fights before he's made his UFC debut. So he's paid all the dues he needs to pay. And for the UFC to match him up with Volkan Uzdemir, that shows that, hey, we don't want to give you a cupcake. We don't want to give you a warm-up fight. We're throwing you right in there with the Wolves in your UFC debut. And let's see if you're ready to sink or swim. UFC has a way of doing that, right? Throwing these guys in and let's see what we got. And I think that's great. It's not, you know, let's build this guy up for 10 to 20 fights against soft opponents and then put him in a title shot. It's let's see what you got. Um, so that's always great. So I think, uh, I, you know, you gave us some great analysis, great things to look out for in this card. And, and we have a little bit of time before I let you go. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about you and your process. Now I was looking at, um, at your, at your site, uh, best fight picks, and there was a little bit about you and it said, uh, you have built up your reputation by consistently going against the grain. Um, you've been coined as one of the top underdog players in the industry. So I'm just curious, you know, what do you look for when you go against the grain? What, what, what is, um, how, how, have, how have you become one of the top underdog players? So basically, like, for example, like what we were talking about with that Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier fight, just because, you know, that's off the tip of my head. And, you know, when you think about a fight like that, just on paper, when you see two studs like that, you're thinking, man, that might be a 50-50 fight like that. That could go either way. Flip a coin, right? Well, they had <laughs> Dustin Poirier close to a two-to-one dog, right? So when you see situations like that where you feel like, man, this line is off and there might be some value here on the dog. That's where you take the shot because sometimes the public is behind and sometimes the public falls in love with these fighters. Like Max Holloway, you know, he points to the ground against Ricardo Lamas. He tees off on Brian Ortega, who's got no boxing whatsoever. So everyone falls in love with the guy. Then you put him in there with the most dangerous guy at 155 pounds and in Dustin Poirier and everyone's still counting him out because he beat up a couple washed up fighters. It's like, guys, like, let's relax. Like this should be a much closer fight. So those are the spots where you got to capitalize, where you feel like there's a big discrepancy. So what I like to do is, you know, I'll do my analysis. I'll watch tape on both fighters. And the most, the two most important things are the stylistic matchup and the number in the betting odd, right? So you got to determine where you think the line should be. So you set your own line and then you look at the actual odds and you take it from there. If there's some kind of discrepancy, that's something you capitalize on. Like, for example, 
I, and I haven't bet this, but this is an example of something I would do. And I'm not saying Andrade is going to win or lose because I'm not sure. But what I do know, because again, this isn't about just picking winners. This is about looking for value because, you know, it, we can just sit here and pick winners and losers on, on the whole car. And who knows if we're going to be right or wrong, but to profit long term, you got to take advantage of numbers that are off. And long term, if you play that Jessica Andrade at plus 175, you're going to cash out long term with this Piva fight. I think you should be a minus 250 favorite, not a minus 175 favorite. So that, you know, if I am right, there's a lot of value there. So those are just like little examples of what I'm talking about. Like, for example, uh, I know we keep bringing up Holloway, but Holloway versus Volkanovsky the first time. I thought that should have been lined to pick him. And they gave me plus 165 on, on uh, Volkanovsky. So those are the spots you want to capitalize on. And yeah, you're not going to be right all the time. But the point is to profit long term. As long as you can come out with a profit at the end of the day, that's what matters. Because, you know, people are so uh, short-sighted and only look at the short term. Like, let's say I have a shitty weekend on Saturday. Let's say I lose all my bets on Saturday. You're going to get a bunch of trolls saying, oh, you suck and this and that. And, like, for me, yeah, it, it'll hurt on the night. But the next day, we move on to the next event because th this I take this seriously. Like, for example, when people think about gambling, they think about, you know, gamblers anonymous and people having problems and all this shit like you know oh it's midnight let's go force a bet on something we know nothing about right that's not what i do i only look for one to four bets per per ufc event find where i have the value and then i move on win or lose there i'm not going to force anything on other sports i'm not gonna you know bet more than i can afford to lose like your money management has to be on point your discipline and most importantly find value in a you know um favorable stylistic matchups that is great advice for anyone listening uh really great to kind of learn more about your process things you look for uh and i think that that's really an important distinction it's not just degenerate gambling here right this is researched stuff and we can hear that with your analysis so uh just to close it out saturday night there's a lot of fights uh we talked a lot about a lot of them uh, what is the one fight or moment or, or thing that you're going to be looking out for most that you're saying, wow, I can't wait to see this. Man, back to it. That co-main event between Holloway and Volkanovsky, uh, they got me so pumped up. You know, obviously there's my narrative about the long reigning champions, not reclaiming their belts, but then there's actual, the fight hype actually got me invested. Now, not from a betting perspective, I put that stuff you know, to the side. Cause if you watch these promo videos, they'll get you so invested in these fights and get you so pumped up and you'll start believing everything everyone's saying. Like for example, Max Holloway talked about how, you know, cause you know, they're on lockdown in Hawaii. And I talked about how, you know, he did his whole training camp via zoom uh, call, you know, like, like me and you are doing right now. And people might actually believe that and go bet on Volkanovsky for that reason. And it's like, I am picking Volkanovski to win. I do think there's value on him, but like I would never factor any shit like that into my analysis. I'm expecting the best Max Holloway we've ever seen. I feel like that's gamesmanship. So you got to be able to read between the lines when they say stuff like that. But yeah, that, that's the fight I'm most looking forward to, man. And obviously the Piotr Yan versus Jose Aldo fight, getting to see Jorge Masvidal compete for his first ever undisputed title. And then my uh, flyweight prospect, Howley and Paiva too. So there's a lot to look forward to, man. Absolutely. It's, it's going to be a really fun night. I have to ask you this before we, uh, before I let you go, is it max bet season? <laughs> yes, sir. It is max bet season. I'll go to maxbetseason.com uh, this weekend. I'm, fe I'm feeling very confident about one of my plays and uh, we went big on it. Perfect. Perfect. And, and just to close it out, um, I know we talked about your site and Twitter, but just let remind people where they can find you if they want to hear more. 
Absolutely. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on your show. And thank you very much to all your listeners, too. I really, truly appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks and uh, my website, bestfightpicks.com. And my podcast, Half the Battle, is available anywhere that podcasts are found. Dan Levy, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I hope you enjoy the fights on Saturday night, UFC 251. Uh, I really appreciate your analysis, breaking it down for us. And I hope to talk to you again soon, my man. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karen Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karen Bhatia. I am Karen Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps, and I am chatting with Z. You know, I'm at, at Rockstar Z on Twitter zsmma.ca you can see him on zsmma on youtube he's everywhere z how you doing my man i'm doing great current thanks for having me on it's good to be on the uh, inaugural uh, edition of this podcast yes sir episode number one and we had to get uh, some of the best in the game to chat about this massive <laughs> event ufc 251 it's fight island it's in abu dhabi so what do you think about this card? I mean, it's stacked. Is this one of the best UFC cards uh, that we've ever had? Uh, yeah, certainly the top three, uh, especially having three title fights is great. Um, there's some sneaky, good, exciting fights on the prelims as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I like seeing these cards that are like, uh, they're not just top heavy, like they have a lot of depth to them. So um, should be great, man. Should be a really fun night. And I want to talk to you about some of those prelims, but let's start at the top. Uh, let's start with the main event. Jorge Masvidal is stepping in with six days notice uh, against Usman. Um, it's the, obviously the welterweight title. The BMF title, I believe, will not be uh, on the line, but that's okay. Um, Masvidal, as much as we're cheering him on and we think, you know, it is great that he stepped in. It's unbelievable uh, that he stepped in with such short notice, but he does have to lose 20 pounds in five or six days. Do you think that's going to play a factor in the fight? Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. I mean, he has filled out to 170 pretty nicely, but you got to remember this is a guy who used to make lightweight. So, um, and I, I also, we're gonna, I, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but a lot of the like narrative stuff, as far as a betting perspective, it's real hard to trust that because you never know if a fighter is being truthful with what they're saying or, or this and that. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a huge issue. I actually think he's been uh, consistently training. I heard he was helping Poirier for his recent fight. So uh, I don't think he's coming completely in off the couch, you know. And how much of a factor do you think it'll be? Mike Brown, his coach, great striking coach, tested positive. He's not going to Abu Dhabi. He's not going to be there. Uh, how much does that play a factor in your opinion? Uh, it'll play, I think it'll play a factor. Like, he's always in Masvidal's corner as of late. But – 
at the end of the day, this fight is just going to boil down to can Masvidal escape the grind and can he get it back to range? Um, and also how his cardio is going to hold up, you know, that might, you know, the short notice factor might play into that. But again, I don't think it's completely short notice. I think he was staying ready. So, uh, um, yeah, but I mean, Mike Brown is a good cornerman too. So it'll probably play a factor, but I mean, he can't, he can't do what Masvidal needs to do. You know what I mean? Like it's not, I don't think this fight is going to boil down to strategy per se. It's just the abilities of the fighters. So, uh, yeah, again, I don't think it'll be a huge issue. And Masvidal has been fighting for decades. You know, he, he's had a lot of fights without, uh, Brown in his corner. So, um, it'll play a factor for sure, but I don't think it'll be the difference maker, so to speak. And we will see in terms of Masvidal's cardio, uh, staying, you know, staying in there, as you said, against Askren, obviously it was a very short night. Uh, so he didn't need much cardio that night against Diaz. He looked great. Uh, I guess you could maybe argue that in that last final round before it was stopped, he was slowing down just, uh, just a hair. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens if, um, you know, Usman's last fight, uh, he won by knockout against Covington, but it was at the last round. So he, you know, it, we're most likely going to have a long fight here, depending on what happens. I mean, we never know. You could get another flying knee. So right now I'm looking at the odds as we're speaking. Uh, and I'm looking at, correct me if I'm wrong, I see Usman is at minus 265, Masvidal plus 225, around there at least. Um, what do you think about, you know, where those numbers are at right now? I mean, when you see a veteran fighter, I'm looking at uh, Masvidal plus 234. So that's like right at the 30%. Uh, indication and when you see a fighter of Masvidal's caliber at that line you kind of think that there's always going to be a bit of value but honestly this is a really tough matchup for him and I'm a huge game bread fan but if you go back I mean to uh, Benson Henderson fight there's been a few others where guys can just get him in the clinch and control him and when you compare these two the gas tank is certainly with with Usman here so I, I would love to see George win and if big money comes in on Usman and this line gets crazy, like we're talking like three to one or four to one underdog status, then Masvidal gets tempting for me. But even as a huge Masvidal fan, I know that he's, he's up against it in this one. So you as a sports better, I know that people, if they want to learn more about what, what you're thinking, uh, they can go to zzmma.ca or check out your YouTube channel. Um, but is this a situation where you look to make a play or do you sit this one out and enjoy it? What are you thinking? Uh, Right now, I haven't taken a position on this one. I'll be, I'll, I'm fine to talk about bets that I have made on here. But uh, yeah, I mean, if any bet, I would want to take Masvidal as a huge dog. I do think some big money is going to come in on Usman because it seems to be all the public money is coming in on Masvidal here. Um, but I expect some big bets to be made on Usman, to be honest. Uh, it's just when you do look back at Usman's career, he has been dinged and it's not like a little thing. Like he's been wobbled pretty bad. If you go back to the Hater Hassan fight, his UFC debut, of course. But uh, it, it really just boils down to can Gamebred get away from that grind long enough to land something. So for me, it's not. It's honestly not too tempting. But if there was a bet to be made, I'd say take Masvidal if if this line gets crazy. But uh, Usman is probably probably a, a solid spot. So. It is a tremendous main event, and it's a tremendous main card. I mean, we, we it's it's just you go down this list of fights, and it's unbelievable. So Holloway Volkanovski, uh, this is a rematch. Um, mm -hmm. How much does a rematch play into uh, your mindset when you're looking at when you're looking to make a play? I mean, it's almost like you have a whole set of data already there to mm -hmm. look at, right? Especially in this circumstance where that was their last fight. So sometimes you know fighters can make improvements camp to camp and like become better or other fighters. Like that's one thing with betting. I think people should really understand is fighters are fluid commodities. They're not 
consistent. Some of them are, and you can take note of that when a fighter comes in, like looking the same each and every fight, but for the most part, they're fluid. But in this case, like we just saw them fight and some people are saying that it was close, but I thought Volkanovski clearly won. Like, and it was, it was the case where like, where Max wants to take the fight and strike from the outside. Volkanovski was actually outstriking him there. It wasn't just a, you know, a, a factor of him being stronger or like faster. It's no, he technically kind of dismantled Holloway in my opinion. Um, but also when you're thinking about this fight, I think the mindset is going to be really different for Max coming in here, knowing that he lost the belt and uh, he's going to bring more aggression to the table. So if he does that, like, I just think he's going to be running into harder shots from Volkanovski. I really think it's just a bad matchup for Max. Um, like he's taller, but Volkanovski has the reach advantage. So it's like, if you're the taller fighter, you can fight on the outside normally, but we saw Volkanovski outstrike him. And then if you're the shorter fighter, you kind of want to get inside. You know what I mean? So Max can't really do either of those because he's outstruck on the outside and he can't get on the inside because Volkanovski's the, the shorter guy, right? So I just think it's a really bad look for Max, especially coming in apparently with no camp, you know, or, or like a very limited camp. You know, again, I don't take those uh, narratives into too much consideration. It's just another ingredient in the soup, so to speak, or what I like to say. Um, but yeah, I, I really think Volkanovski is going to win this fight and it's going to be uh, more dominantly than the first time. And it's almost as if Holloway's aggression will play against him wanting this so yeah. bad. Uh, and we know he obviously wants it so bad. Uh, not having a camp is never good, no matter what happens. <laughs> but right. we'll see how that, that, that plays a factor. Or a, li so, a limited camp, you know, with COVID going on, his coaches could right. really be in the gym, apparently. You know, and right. again, you never know. You never know. Maybe Max is just saying that so that his gym doesn't get in trouble for opening up for him. Like, you never know, man. But, uh, but yeah, I – when a champion loses the belt, I always like to see them take on another contender before getting the rematch. Right. Cause it's like, we just saw this fight. There was no real controversy and I don't really know what improvements Max can make. Like people, a lot of people are talking about adjustments that can be made, but I, I just don't see it, man. I don't see it. I think Volkanovski rolls. No, especially because he feels like he won that first fight. So right. he may not think he needs to make as many adjustments versus a guy who, you know, takes a loss, tips his cap, says, let me go back to film, to study, to get some new training partners, things like that. Um, so where are you uh, on that fight, Volkanovski Holloway, where are you seeing the numbers and, and are you seeing any value there at all? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a bet here. I took uh, Volkanovski as a minus 200. Um, I would push that. I think he's at least minus 233. I would put him more around three to one or four to one favorite, to be honest. Like, again, that's just my perception of the fight. I know some people will watch that first fight and say it was close. And like two of the judges gave Max two of the rounds, but honestly, he's just like out, he got outstruck and he's outgunned in the pocket. And, uh, and like I said, any improvements or, or any more aggression that he brings to the table, I think is just going to open him up for harder counters from Volkanovski. So uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think Volkanovski's solid here. So that is a solid featherweight title bout. And now we move on to a solid bantamweight title bout. Um, oh, it's, it's just a great, great card. Great, great fight. So Peter Jan versus Aldo. It's the bantamweight title. Um, how do you break this one down? Where are you seeing the numbers? Any value on this one? Yeah, I have, uh, I have a bet on this one too. Um, first of all, Peter Yan is just a tremendously skilled striker. Um, great hand position. He likes to trick guys in there. He's thinking multiple steps ahead. You know, he's fainting and then throwing multiple strikes. Um, but we saw Jose Aldo uh, make his Bantamweight debut. A lot of people thought he won that fight. I actually had a bet on him as a plus 175 dog. So I wish he bet he had won that fight. But uh, I'm not here to nitpick decisions. 
Um, the, the way these two guys match up, though, I think you're going to see them stand much closer to each other than most MMA fights are contested at. A lot of guys like to play that range game, whereas these guys both look to like use their speed and their, their tricky like pocket exchanges to uh, take guys out. Um, and, of course, there's the myth of Aldo's leg kicks. Like it's like, a, it's like a, you know, a thing from the past at this point. But if he implements them, huge if, but if he does, he can really exploit Peter Yan because Yan's uh, got a boxing foundation you know and he he's heavy on that lead leg we saw i believe it was uh jimmy rivera target the leg pretty effectively versus yan um but i you can't count on aldo to do that right so the bet that i took is actually the under two and a half because especially since aldo just lost that close decision and they're both fighting for a title here i think they come out and the way they match up you're just going to see them both stand really close and look for big shots like they're not they're not in there like playing patty cake you know what i mean they're both looking for big shots sneaking stuff in and uh this is a fight i'm so hyped for um but i got the under two and a half at plus 156 so that's under a 40 percent indication the way i like to make my bets is like i always like to get a 10 percent uh perceived edge on on the betting line so the way i'm looking at this is i can flip the coin and say there's a 50 percent chance that someone gets taken out early in this fight i think aldo has an honest chance to end uh, Peter Yan early because Yan, like I spoke about, he's got great hand position, but with that hand position and that tight guard uh, in MMA, you can sneak stuff down the middle and around, around the guard as well. So Aldo could be using like those explosive strikes and getting to Yan. Um, but by the same token, we saw Aldo get dinged in his last fight versus Morais via head kick and Peter Yan can sneak head kicks in. Like this guy's the bruiser at Tiger Muay Thai. So he's no joke on the feet. And uh, I wouldn't put it past him to end Aldo early either. Plus, I think come the midway part of the second round, you're going to see Yan really start to step on the gas like he did in the Faber fight. He's a fighter who likes to like let stuff happen. And then once he gets his reads, he'll turn it on. So I just see this being really violent. I see a lot of hard strikes be landing on either side. And uh, yeah, I'll take the under at, uh, at plus 156. It's it's always exciting when you there's so many ways it could go and yeah. we'll have to see what happens and that just makes it all the anticipation all that much more uh, and it will be interesting to see if Aldo can work those leg kicks uh, like you said uh, what his game plan is uh, another fight on the card another great fight Jessica Andrade versus Rose fight mm. one we we talked earlier about rematches fight one would you say that it ended in a fluky way does that play into your analysis on the rematch um just talk to me a little bit about that fight yeah i mean some people have an issue with that term like fluke because obviously andrage tried to do that it wasn't like a mistake but when you watch that fight rose was winning for the majority of the time they were in there you know and then uh when you want to talk about like again rose is making is coming back off that loss you know so it, it's a little interesting but jessica is coming off a knockout loss as well now. So they're both kind of coming off KO losses. And uh, I, I, I honestly, I think Rose is going to take this one. Uh, as far as betting perspective, I haven't taken a position on it. Um, it's not really tempting because Andrade does hit hard. And, uh, and obviously she won the, the first fight, right? So she, she could do it again. But I think, I think Fluke is, is the right, um, you're on the right track. Because like I said, for the majority of that fight, it was not close. Like Rose was lighting her up. Um, working really well off the back foot. Uh, it is interesting that she moved her camp away from uh, Trevor Whitman for this one. Even though she's going to have Whitman in the corner, she hasn't been training in Colorado with him. So I really like him as a coach. So that's kind of a, a detriment there. Um, 
but yeah, honestly, judging by the first fight, I think, uh, again, I don't really see the improvements that Andrade can make. Like she's a, she's just a tank, you know, she just has what she has. So, um, I'm thinking Rose, Rose handles her, but uh, I haven't bet that fight. It's, to your point, it's always um, questionable when you say fluke because you could even, you know, some some could make the argument if you look at um, Masvidal with the flying knee to Askren. You could say, oh, that, that was a fluke. But wait right. a minute. He practiced that for hours right. and hours, days on end in the gym. And he he knew that Askren was going to go for the takedown and he knew that he would have that opening. Same thing for Connor against Aldo with that left hand. I mean, we, we've seen the video of Connor practicing uh, right. that left hand, knowing what he's going to do. The reason that maybe this one people say are, is a little more fluky is because there was actually there was a fight before that, before the yeah. end of it. It wasn't just they came out of the gate and boom, that's what happened. So that makes people think, oh, wait a minute. Uh, what if that moment didn't happen? Uh, but to your point, I mean, that's, that's the type of stuff we have to look at, especially in a rematch. So the uh, rounding out the main card, Paige Van Sant versus Amanda Hebas. And I'm looking at, at some of these odds here. Uh, I think at some places, Paige is up to plus 675. Yeah. Um, it seems to be the widest one on this main card. So what do you what do you make of that fight? We know about Paige. Uh, there's been some inconsistency due to injury. There's been Dancing with the Stars, things like that. Of course, the UFC contract situation is also a play. So a lot of different storylines, a lot of things going on. Uh, what do you think about that fight? I think uh, when you're talking about MMA fights, if you get to the plus 400 mark, you can take some real long bombs. You know, you can really test it. That's just one out of five, you know. So we see fights where those big dogs come through. You know what I mean? We had um, Julian Arosa uh, last week or a couple weeks ago beat Sean Woodson. And, like, he was losing the fight, probably justified line, but MMA is crazy. So, much, so many different things can happen. And when you do look at Paige Van Zandt, like, she's not the best fighter, but she's very scrappy, um, very resilient, hard to submit tons of energy so like it's clear dog or pass certainly never lay this type of you know crazy line because one loss and then you're never going to get that that back right but um again i i've been copping out because i even called the arosa i said that was dog or pass the value was on arosa if anything but i didn't take the shot and i'm i'm in the same position here like rebass is serious you know she's a good fighter i if if the odds you know if the odds weren't involved of course i'm picking amanda rebass to win the fight probably a 70 75% right but like you said we're looking at plus 675 i'm getting plus 565 like it's it's definitely something that if you want to take a gamble you can take Paige Van Zant um but again i haven't i haven't done that um might be regretting that but uh it's honestly man it's I, I don't want to be disrespectful but it's tough for me to bet on a on a woman who has implants you know because it's just it's hard man like if you're a fighter and you're, you're making weight is one of the, the things about fighting, right? If you're adding on extra weight just for vanity, I don't know how serious you are. So um, Amanda Rebass is certainly a serious fighter with a serious skill set. It's just, could this fight go to a, a close split decision with lots of like back and forth, like scrambly, you know, they, they're reversing positions and there's a lot of pitter patter striking happening. I could see that, but I got to say Amanda Rebass is the better fighter and I haven't taken the shot. You haven't taken the shot. That's good to uh, good to know. Uh, and and to your point, I think the biggest thing uh, that we you know one of the bigger takeaways is sometimes you can be very sure about who you think is going to win a fight. That doesn't mean it's necessarily a good bet to make, uh, a good play to make. There may not be value there. So obviously the main card is stacked, but that's only a very small part of what you do as someone who bets on this stuff. Um, what are you looking at in terms of the rest of the card? Is there value uh, down the line? What's, what are a couple fights or situations that stick out to you? 
Yeah, I really like uh, I really like unders and underdogs on the undercard. I think with the more high profile fights, the kind of, the value gets hammered out because people are very aware of these fighters, and uh, you know. But on the undercard, you can usually get some sneaky plays. Um, if I'll take a look at it right now, we got uh, Jiri uh, Prochechka making his debut against Volkan Ozdemir. I'm I'm very close to betting Volkan Ozdemir. If that line comes in a little bit more, I'm going to take the shot because he can chop Jerry down. Jerry was getting kicked via uh, or. Uh, kicked from CB Dalloway. Dalloway was chopping his leg really well before he got knocked out. Volkan is not someone who you can say will be easily knocked out. I mean, this guy's been in there with beasts. He's gone to war multiple times. Um, and just the, the level of competition is so much different that I think if you're getting minus 150, where it's very close to minus 150 right now, I think that's not a bad bet to make. Um, you've got Rallyan Paiva welcoming Zaglas uh, Zumagalov to the UFC. Zaglas is a decent fighter, but nothing really jumps off the page at me. And Rallyan Paiva is a very scrappy, very experienced young Brazilian um, with a good lethal skill set. So watch out for him. Um, there's another fight. There's a banger. Uh, Zaleski Dos Santos versus Muslim Salikov. Uh, Muslim's high-level striker, like very, very veteran Um his mechanics are really good. His timing is excellent. And Zaleski is a dude who is willing to throw down with most people. So I think that fight's going to be a banger. That's another under two and a half that I took. I got in a little bit earlier at plus 135. Um, and I also have a bet on Zaleski. Now I'm giving Muslim Salikov the advantage on the feet, but it's not like Zaleski's out of his element. He's got a capoeira background. He's very scrappy, can throw down. Um, but if he wants to take this fight to the mat, that's a very clear path to victory for him. Uh, he's got a much better ground game than Salikov does at this point in time. Uh, I would say at best, Salikov's ground game is a work in progress. And uh, we saw Zaleski take Curtis Millinder down and just get to the back and end the fight quick. Didn't want anything to do with the striking because there was that clear path to victory. So I think you're going to see that play out again where Zaleski's going to take Muslim down early, get to the back and finish him. Um, I mean, Zaleski took down Konchenko in, uh, in his last fight, and Konchenko is a uh, you know, Russian bear, very hard to take down, whereas Muslims, you know, primarily a striker, doesn't have great takedown defense, doesn't have a get-up game, doesn't have high-level jiu-jitsu. So if Zaleski's smart, I think he's just going to go for the easy win there. Um, and we've also got, yo, the curtain jerker, Martin Day versus Davey Grant. I think that's a banger. That's another one. I took the under 2.5 and plus 180. Um, look out for Martin Day. He's got a taekwondo background taekwondo base but also has very good fundamental boxing skills likes to slip to the left and return with left-handed shots and Davy grants a scrappy dude he's going to force the fight so um also i like the fact that both of them will operate on the feet at all ranges they'll throw down in the pocket they'll throw uh long range kicks from the outside so that's a great fight um I mean, man, it's honestly, this undercard is, uh, it, it doesn't have crazy big names for most people, but there's going to be bangers on this one. You've got uh, Leonardo Santos taking on Roman Bogatov, welcoming Roman Bogatov to the UFC. Man, Bogatov is so, such a strong grappler. Like his core strength and his just overall grappling is so strong, but he's going up against Santos, who's a seven-time jiu-jitsu world champion and has developed a very lethal long-range striking game. So I think that one is just pick your poison for Bogotov. I don't really see where he's going to be able to take the fight to have success. So look for Santos to get a finish there. Um, I mean, man, it's, it's a, it's honestly just a banger of a card. It's, it's a really, it's a really fun undercard. No, it really is. And safe to say that uh, we'll all be tuned in starting 6 PM Eastern on Saturday, because just top to bottom, you got early prelims, prelims and main card um, really great stuff there. Uh, and, and, you know, we can, um, learn a lot from, from your analysis and that 
obviously the top main card gets a lot of eyeballs and a lot of analysis, but where you can find value is in other uh, situations down the line. Um, and, and you have some really great analysis there. So I wanted to ask you a little bit, uh, you know, we only have a few minutes left about your process in, in betting on sports, betting on MMA. Um, I think I read somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you wrote not having a great year so far, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as like a full disclosure. So, what do you think has been holding you back? What are some adjustments you want to make and how do you handle those swings? Yeah. Um, one thing about me, and I think in this, if you're in this space, I think you got to be third party tracked. Everyone should have a long-term third party track record because anybody can go on short win streaks. Anybody can have a great night. And uh, I'm certainly not claiming to be the best handicapper out here. I want to make that very clear. Um, but I think I'm decent at it, you know? Um, but honestly, this year has just been a combination of, passing some good spots i've passed on a lot of like bets where i was close and then just a little too cautious and they would have come through uh, i've made some bad bets you know lord knows i've made some bad bets and uh also just some unlucky bounces and uh i i like to do betting recaps and go over like the bets win or lose if if i thought they were good bets to make or bad bets to make and i mean some of them not you know not to not to cry on here or anything like that, but like I took uh, Overeem versus Walt Harris. I don't know if you remember that fight. I had the under one and a half rounds. So Walt knocks him down, Overeem gets him down. Like, and then it, it just missed by like 30 seconds or something. So a couple spots like that or a couple split decisions. If you're losing bets like that, you don't really want to change the process too much. You don't want to make over, like you don't want to overcorrect yourself and then miss out on good opportunities, you know, in the near future. Um, but generally just, just, uh, tightening up on the on the bad bets you know make sure the lines you're betting have value you're not just betting to make a bet um and, and just yeah just trust the process and uh get get the value that that's the key right because you know anyone can just pick a fight they might be right they might be wrong but what determines a, a long-term winner is if you're getting value on the line and, and honestly that all that means some people might watching this might think oh it's it's only underdogs it's only uh sure things it's just a difference between where you're perceiving the chances of a fighter to win are and the odds represent. That's the biggest thing, getting that value long-term. That's what matters. And it sounds like in terms of your process, you are looking at what works and what doesn't and making the necessary adjustments. Um, so I think that's great. And I'm sure uh, you'll continue to have success. So last question, um, Saturday night, there's so many good matchups and things going on. What is the one thing that you are most looking forward to? The one fight, the one situation, oh, the one easy. moment? What is, what is that thing that you're on Saturday going to say, yes, uh, this is what I waited for? Oh, it's so easy. It's Aldo versus Yan. It's so easy. That fight is just yeah, – that's an incredible fight. Like, just, just think about they're going to be standing, like, toe-to-toe, you know, and, and not toe-to-toe just throwing and doing crazy stuff. Like, toe-to-toe looking to trick each other, looking to set traps and uh, – yeah, I, I honestly can't wait for that one. Like two just high-level lethal strikers. You're going to see Muay Thai in the cage. Um, I, I can't wait for that one. And I think that under is going to hit. Like that's a, that's a classic violence bet. Absolutely. So, Z, I want to thank you so much for the time, for breaking it down. Um, I know we mentioned it earlier, but just let people know where they can find you, where they can hear more of your picks. Yeah, sure. If you want to uh, hit me up on Twitter at RockstarZ, I'm always down to talk fights and just discuss matchups or anything else gambling uh, related. Happy to talk to anybody. Uh, I have a website, zmma.ca. If you want to know all my plays, uh, you can go there and sign up. 300 bucks for a year, 100 bucks for three months. Full disclosure, not having a great year, but you know, like Bitcoin, it might be a good, t- a good time to buy in low. Um, and then I also give out a bunch of plays for free via YouTube, uh, again, at ZMMA. 
And I do a, a, a podcast called the Fair Play Podcast where I have other guest gamblers come on. We discuss how they did the last card, break down the fights uh, on the upcoming card, and then discuss a few bets there too. So that's always a good time. Z, I want to thank you so much for the time, for the analysis, for breaking it down. Uh, I, I, I hope that you enjoy the fights on Saturday night, and I hope to have you back on the show again soon and, and chat with you soon, my man. Would love to do it, man. I'm going to need some uh, merchandise too. Yes, absolutely. We will, I will talk to my people. We'll get you some merchandise. Absolutely, <laughs> 100%. Thanks so much for the time. All right, buddy. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by squaresandsharps.com. Squares and Sharps is what winners wear. We are the brand for sports bettors. Please visit squaresandsharps.com for high-quality sports betting apparel and gear. Use promo code CURRENT2020 for 15% off your next order and for free shipping. Do you like Jorge Masvidal's Scarface-inspired suit? It was created by Mohan's Custom Tailors of NYC. Turn your own dream into a reality. Visit the legendary Mohan's Custom Tailors located steps away from Grand Central at 301 Madison Avenue. You can contact them at 212-697-0050 or by visiting mohansnyc.com. Make an appointment now. If you're enjoying this show, check out my other podcast, Ask the Experts with Karin Bhatia. It's available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And check out my YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Karin Bhatia. I am Karin Bhatia. This is Squares and Sharps, and I am joined by Adam Newsom. You may know him just as Newsom. He's the director and professional MMA handicapper at, at MMA Play 365. He's the owner of Newsom MMA. He's an MMA analyst. You can see him on Twitter at Newsom underscore MMA. So, Newsom, my man, we have UFC 251. It's a massive card. It's stacked. Um, is this one of the best UFC cards that you've seen? I think it's definitely up there for sure uh, on paper. And especially with it being the first fight card in Fight Island as well, I feel like this is going to be a moment in history that we talk about 10, 20, 30 years' time because I, I don't think that this is going to be a one-off thing. Obviously, a lot of sporting events in um, the Middle East, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, um, are known for building these places for an event and then knocking them down, you know, to create that space for something else. But I'm not sure if that's going to be the case with this. I feel that we're going to see Fight Island stay where it is and sort of how Vegas is with International Fight Week. I think the same thing is going to be happening with Fight Island. I think it's going to turn into one of those places that is a go-to place for any MMA and UFC fan, you know, throughout the years i can see him putting together like little holiday packages you know i think what they've done is just marketing genius so yeah it's exciting i think it's a big moment in history we've got three amazing title fights a stacked card for the main card the prelims the early prelims i'm excited man no absolutely that region of the world can put on big events uh in in saudi arabia they've had a lot of boxing when amir khan was fighting over there they had rick ross doing like an intermission show you know it, it's it's yeah. great what they can do there and i believe it'll be the ufc's plan to continue to do fights there we know that they did fights at the ufc apex uh in vegas but now this allows international uh fighters to come so it, it opens up more doors and most likely we're going to see a lot more fights on fight island so 
we will talk about this great card that we have, and we'll start at the top. And we know Usman is the champion. He's the man to beat. And on six days' notice, Jorge Masvidal, Gamebred, is, is jumping in there. So I've been asking everyone I've been talking to about this. I mean, I, I think it's great that Masvidal's jumping in, and it sounds like he's been staying ready. He's been training. But he does have uh, some weight cut to do. He has about 20 pounds to lose in five or six days. We saw him on Instagram maybe stopping over in Rome and eating some pizza, it looked like. Um, what do you think about the weight? Is that going to play a factor in this fight? I'm, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Masvidal's a pro. He has been for his, for his entire career. So to, to make an assumption that he's going to miss weight, even though it's six days notice, I don't think you can make that assumption. Um, it might be difficult for him. Will it play a part? Again, I don't think so. Like you said, he's, he's been training. Uh, he looks to be in you know some sort of shape. He's an athlete. So I'm not sure the weight itself is going to be an issue. The one thing I've got with this fight is, it's, it's not just short notice, but Masvidal was in this war with the UFC regarding pay. So right. I don't think Masvidal thought he was going to get a fight booked anytime soon, at least not this weekend against Usman. But that's the other thing. You know, Gilbert Burns was supposed to fight Usman. No one could have predicted that he would get tested positive for COVID-19. And then, in my opinion, I think there's two or three fighters in front of Masvidal in the queue for that welterweight title. So with Usman pulling out, I think that there's, like I said, there's another two or three guys that possibly should have been above Masvidal for this title shot based on recent results. And I just think the overall thing is come as a surprise to us as fight fans. I think it's going to come as a surprise to Masvidal as well. For what it's worth, I absolutely love this fight. I think Masvidal makes this fight super exciting. I know we said that there's a couple of guys ahead of him in the queue, but man, it's... What what a fight, what a fighter, you know, the BMF champion, what a main event. So I just think the weight might not be the issue, but the fact that this fight is even happening, I think is a shock to, to everybody in the MMA will for the reasons that I've just mentioned. So, Absolutely. It, it was a uh, almost a miracle, you could say, to get such a good fight. And, and like you said, um, you know, Masvidal's still up there. He is the BMF champion, even though that belt will not be on the line. I believe it's just the, the welterweight title yeah. of Usman. So... You mentioned uh, Burns having uh, COVID-19, and, and we know the, the terrible global pandemic that's going on right now. It's affected this fight as well because Mike Brown, who is uh, Masvidal's coach, one of his coaches tested positive, he will not be making the trip. So we'll see how that affects things. Um, I'm looking at some numbers here. I, I, the, the, what I saw was that Usman is at minus 270 uh, right now as we're speaking. Um, what do you think about, about this fight? Is there any value there? Or is this one where you, you say, hey, don't, don't put any money down. Put your feet up and enjoy this main event. I think you can make an argument for both. I, I think there is value in the line just purely because I expected Usman to be sort of the minus 350 mark. <clears throat> Maybe minus 350, sorry, minus 300 at best. But to, to say that he's actually at minus 270 and actually in some places over here in the UK is minus 250, I think I still think there's value on that line because not only is Usman a nightmare, nobody intended for... For every fighter, in my opinion, in that division, but six days notice, again, with all the reasons that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago as well, I think it's a, it's a really tough ask for someone like Masvidal to, to come into this fight and, and win. You know, the flash knockout obviously is there. What I do like about Masvidal is he doesn't have that power in raw power in his punches. He has the power in accumulation, accuracy, you know, being a sniper. So he, he can definitely win this fight. I just think it's... 
going to be very difficult. And I think the window of opportunity to win is very small as well, because I think if he doesn't get it early, Usman will grow into the fight and with his grinding style. Even if he can't get Masvidal down, he can push against the cage, similar to what he did against Tyron Woodley. And, you know, that wears fighters down. And again, the short notice fight, if he does have a tough weight cut as well, then, you know, I just think it's going to be difficult. So I foresaw Usman being like maybe minus 350, potentially even bet up further than that from from that opener. But, you know, I was wrong and it's it's in like the minus 250, minus 260 range. So, yeah, I think there's value. But listen, if you like uh, Masvidal, and a lot of money has been coming in on Masvidal from what I'm hearing from the books as well, then, yeah, absolutely. If you want to sit back, put your feet up and enjoy it, I think, you know, that that's a, a nice way to go about it as well. No, absolutely. As you said, you know, Masvidal, he, he's rugged, he's relentless. Uh, he has that street fighting background, but he is a smart thinking fighter, especially with like the flying knee, things like that. These are things that he's practiced for, for, for a long time. He thinks about these things. Um, and in terms of, in terms of his situation, he is a late opponent, but I've always said these late opponents can be a wild card in a way because they're coming in with nothing to lose. If they lose the fight, hey, I only had six days notice. Uh, same thing with Nate Diaz, I think, against Connor in their first fight. I believe he only had 11 days notice. He was like on a yeah. yacht somewhere doing shots and he got the fight and look what happened. So <laughs> you never know. But to your point, it seems like conventional wisdom says Usman uh, will get it done because he's been training, he's, he's been preparing for this, uh, and, and he is a solid champion, as we know. So we go down the card. That's a great fight. We also have a, a featherweight title fight. It's a rematch, Volkanovski versus Holloway. We know Volkanovski was able to get it done the first time. When you look at fights like this, uh, you know, your process of, of assessing numbers and, and what's going to happen and looking for value. I mean, when there's a rematch, uh, there's a lot to be, to be seen from the first fight, right? That gives you a whole set of data to look at, right? For sure. And the main thing about this fight for me, I mentioned this on the podcast that I recorded this week for MMA Play 365 as well, is the adjustment. Because in my opinion, I don't agree with the first two judges scoring that 48-47, that, that first fight to Volkanovski. I think he'd won every round, so I agree with that third judge at 50-45. But that's the way I saw the fight. I think it was very decisive. And the one thing that would help Holloway in this fight, and this is the adjustment he has to make, is not just doing something about the low kicks. Obviously, he has to do something about that, but he has to kick to the body as well because he's the taller fighter. Volkanovski is the smaller fighter. But Volkanovski was having so much success getting in at that range to be able to land his kicks, to be able to land combinations on Holloway. And that's something that we've not really seen fighters do against Holloway. So Volkanovski is very clearly good at that pressure, that forward movement, and the ability to get inside of range on the taller fighters. So the body kick from Holloway, that for me is a perfect tool because not only will that help him dictate the range, dictate the pace of the fight, it'll keep Volkanovski back. And if it keeps him back, that'll reduce the amount of leg kicks he absorbs as well. So in my opinion, for how I see this fight, I just think that everything revolves around Holloway keeping him at distance. And the one thing that you can do to make that adjustment from the first fight is a body kick. The issue I've got here is, historically, you look back at Holloway's fights, he's not a kick-heavy fighter. Sure, he throws them, and he was returning some low kicks in that Volkanovski fight, but he's predominantly a boxer on the feet, you know, likes to fire his punches from the hips. He's got that really unorthodox style of fighting, which bamboozles a lot of fighters, not Volkanovski. So I'm really interested to see if Holloway does make these adjustments to, um, to really stifle Volkanovski. And, 
if hypothetically he does come out here and he does do exactly what I've just mentioned and he, he throws that body kick often and allows himself to dictate the pace of the fight, I think he's got a really good chance of winning. But I'm just not convinced that he's going to come in there with, with that game plan. I, I just feel that he's very confident in his, in his own style and he feels that he can possibly perform better than he did in that first fight. But I think stylistically, without being able to keep Volkanovski at range, He's, he's going to lose the fight again. And for what it's worth as well, I, I don't buy into the whole, uh, you know, I've, I've been doing Zoom classes for my training camp. I've not seen my coaches till the airport at Vegas. Look, the dude just didn't want to snitch on himself and his team and risk getting fined or arrested. It's as simple as that. So that's my take on the fight. That, that's the working theory that Holloway, you know, obviously with coronavirus, you may not be able to have your gym open, but you don't want to say that, that you were training. So that may be what's going on. It's also a case of uh, in a rematch, usually maybe the guy who won the first time can win again. In Holloway's case, I think on, in adding to what you said, um, something that may, might play against him is that in his, his mind, he felt like he won the first fight, which means he may not be as committed to changing things for the rematch, right? He may not be trying to find new techniques, looking at film, hiring new trainers things like that so it will be a fascinating and interesting fight and before that we have the bantamweight title peter yan versus jose aldo this is another great 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 matchup so what are you looking at in this fight i mean the numbers are somewhere around uh i'm looking right now we got peter yan at um, minus 205 aldo at plus 175 i mean what do you think about those numbers what do you think about that fight Again, similar to uh, Usman, I expected the line to be slightly higher on uh, Jan. I'm not sure if I've seen 205 over in the UK. I think the best I've seen is potentially minus 220, um, which I think is is about fair. But it wouldn't have shocked me if this line was at minus 250, minus 275, just because of how dangerous Jan is and he grows into fights as well. So if this was a three-round fight, I think Aldo would have a very very well a significantly bigger chance of winning than than what he does um on saturday night but the fact that it's five rounds because petter yan starts slow no he's a notorious slow starter he still ends up you know winning the later rounds in his three round fights but with aldo i think that would have been tricky over three rounds over five rounds i do favor i do favor yan i will say this about aldo though he proved me wrong and i think 99 percent of fight fans wrong when we were all saying, is he going to make that that bantamweight um, limit? You know, he was looking terrible as well. I mean, he's not looking, I saw pictures of him today, he's not looking great again, but he, he's looking how he looked last time and he made weight perfectly fine. He had a smile on his face and he performed well against Marlon Marais as well, which was our other concern. The first one, can he make weight? The second one, can he fight at that weight? Um, but like I say, I think over five rounds, it favours uh, Jan. I think the first, Round, round and a half is going to be extremely competitive. But then I think Jan's going to start tagging him. And people all mention in that Marlon Marias fight about how Aldo didn't tire and he still looked fresh after three rounds. And that's true. But if you go back and look at the Holloway fights, Aldo is the type of fighter that will tire more when he's hit, when, he, when he's tagged opposed to just a high work rate. So for me, that's one of that's one of the two ways people, fighters will get tired inside the cage. Some get tired by getting hit. Some get tired by a high work rate. I think Aldo is the former in that. And I think Jan is going to be tagging him. I think Jan can put him down as well. You know, we saw him put Jimmy Rivera down twice. He puts most fighters that he fights down. And I think once Aldo feels that knockdown, if Aldo feels that knockdown, um, 
I think uh, Jan will start taking over from them. But for sure, this first round, round and a half, is going to be very competitive. And again, just like I mentioned with Holloway as well, if Aldo comes back, and we say this time and time again, if Aldo comes back with these leg kicks that he threw earlier in his career, he is going to be a problem. I don't know why he doesn't throw that kick anymore. I think he hurt it against um, maybe the Korean zombie, if I remember correctly. You know, don't hold me on that. But I think he hurt one of his uh, legs in a previous fight. And since then, we've just seen a decrease on the volume of those leg kicks. But if he brings it back out here, we could be seeing uh, Aldo take his second championship in, in the UFC in a different weight division. And I think he makes history if he does it as well, moving down in weight opposed to what I could, again, could be wrong with that. But I'm sure I've read something regarding that. But for me, it's tough to pick against Petty Ann. He's got a good cardio. He's got a good power. Um, in fact, when he finds his way into fights and starts getting his reads, and he's just really, really difficult to deal with. Absolutely. It'll be really interesting to see what happens in the beginning of that fight, how it plays out, who comes out with what. And I think a lot of people have been saying that in terms of Aldo and the leg kicks. Can he kind of knock away that lead leg of Peter Jan? Can he, can he do something with that? Or is he going to be gun shy, like you said? Uh, if we go down the card, another fantastic fight, women's strawweight bout. We talked about rematches, Jessica Andrade versus Rose. So. The first fight we talked about looking at data. That the first fight can can provide you some data to to what you're going to do on the on the rematch. Um, it wasn't necessarily fluky, but it was an interesting way to end. There was a slam to the head, as we know in the in the first fight. Uh, how does how much does that play a factor into your thoughts on this on this uh, rematch? And is there any value there to make a pick here? In regards to to, to the finish, it absolutely plays nearly a zero percent you know of what I feel about this fight and what it's going to happen like you said it wasn't fluky you know it was a Kimura grip and Andrade noticed it and it was the second time I think in that fight that Rose actually tried to hold on to that and Andrade the second time did something about it but yeah it's not fluky it's just a very low percentage outcome that ain't gonna happen again whereas I think you can for this fight you can make an argument for both sides of who it favours for three rounds because Rose was up that first round. She was doing well in the second round as well until obviously the finish. Um, and then the third round, Andrade may have taken over. But at that point, if Andrade didn't finish and Rose took those first two rounds, she wins a three-round fight. However, my argument is on the flip side with this is Andrade could have been potentially reserving some energy in that first fight because she's a powerful, explosive fighter. So if she goes at 100 mile an hour from the first round and it goes into the to the championship rounds, the fourth and fifth round, she has nothing left. And then she she gets beat probably round four, round five. And then if Rosa took one of the first two rounds, which she did in round one, she wins the fight and Andrade doesn't. So in this fight, with it being three rounds, Andrade 100% has three rounds cardio at full pace. We've seen it time and time again from her. So... If she was reserving energy for a five-round fight, she won't be reserving energy this time. She could come out like a bull, get her reads, get takedowns, and, and really just bull rush Rose. So there's my two arguments for either side. I think it's a very close fight. I'm extremely surprised by the betting line. I think it's way too wide. And I think all the value is on Jessica Andrade for sure. And like I say, I, I think it could be a really close fight, but I am picking Andrade to win the fight. I just feel that over three rounds... I favour that explosive wrestler. Um, I love her grappling. You know, she's made some really good grapplers look really average. And for me, that's a, that's a big thing. So Rose can win for sure. You know, she's, she's, a, she's an excellent fighter. I just like this fight three rounds for Andrade for the reasons I've mentioned. And like I say, the line is so wide. 
So many um, fascinating fights on this card. And uh, speaking of wide lines and underdogs, uh, Paige Van Zant versus Amanda <laughs> Hibas. So I believe Paige is she's definitely the biggest underdog on the uh, on the main card, probably the whole card itself. I'm looking at some places. You're looking at Paige at plus six seventy five. Um, we know what's been going on with her. There's been some inconsistency, obviously, due to injury. There was Dancing with the Stars. This is the last fight on the UFC contract, so that could mean a lot of different things um, for a fighter's motivation. In her case, it seems like she's happy to kind of test the water, see what else is out there outside of UFC. Um, doesn't seem to be happy with pay, which has been uh, a consistent thing, a consistent phrase, a consistent theme, I should say, for a lot of fighters in UFC. Um, what do you make of, of those numbers uh, for Paige? Uh, is there any value in this one? No, I don't think there's any value either way. It's, this is a classic case of um, one fighter wins this at least nine times out of ten um, in this spot. But the line is, you know, it's hard to justify a minus eight fifty, minus nine hundred favorite, even if even if you're throwing it in parlays like a four, even a four, five, six leg parlay, it's not going to make too much difference to that parlay with it being that high of a line. So very, very hard to justify the line on Amanda Rebas. With that being said, I don't see a losing either. So it's one of those fights for me where I just—it's just a pass. It's a straight pass um, because, like I say, if you put money on Page, I just don't see it. Really, don't see it happening. You talk about motivation as well. I'm sure she's making a lot of money outside of the UFC with uh, the whole Instagram thing and sponsors and that sort of stuff. She's also come out today and said something along the lines of she could have had a job. Um, a regular job for most of her life that pays exactly the same as the UFC. She's like you've mentioned, she's saying that she's going to test uh, free agency. So I just feel that not only is Rebass the better fighter, she's the more on form fighter, she's the developing fighter, she's the more motivated fighter, and I think she's the more skilled fighter as well. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't see value in it, but yeah, Rebass will, will win the fight. And, and that is the thing. It's easy to say X fighter will win. It's a different thing to say, oh, I'm going to put money down in this situation. There's, there's two totally different yeah. things there. And that seems to be the case here. So the rest of this card, I know that, you know, in terms of what you do, uh, in terms of placing bets on MMA, the main card is just a very, very small part of it. And that might not even be where the value is. So what are you seeing down the card? Any matchups that um that stick out to you any 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 uh picks uh any moments of value anything that you see in the rest of the card yeah there's um there's one fight that i mentioned again on my podcast and uh i think it's going to be a really interesting fight stylistically and that's leonardo santos and roman bogatov so roman bogatov anybody that knows me well and has, has known me for years knows how i feel about russians i absolutely love them they're like you know they're like gods to me inside mixed martial arts and when you know when i saw roman bogatov's name i know it's the o and the v at the end of his name i was instantly excited um i looked into him and actually although he has got that russian style of fighting in regards to his wrestling and um just looking for for those takedowns i don't think that at least from what I've saw, and unless he's developed, that his entries are that great into his takedowns. So I feel that he is going to go for takedowns, but being the fact that he's fighting Leonardo Santos, that I think he's a seven-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, uh, fourth-degree black belt in BJJ as well. He is 40 years old. That's the, that's the one big flag. But he's experienced. He's solid on the mat. 
And I think that if Bogatov is lazy with his takedowns, well, not lazy, but if his entries aren't that great, I think uh, Santos will be able to cause some scrambles. I think he'll be able to cause him some problems as well. So it's one of those fights where, again, people will watch tape and watch his previous fights and see that he likes the takedown and instantly think, oh my God, this this dude's rushing, he's taking guys down, he's going to be a god. I, I think uh, it's one of these spots here where the Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist might... Um, might get the better of the wrestler, the Russian wrestler, which um, we don't see all too often. So, Absolutely. And that fight uh, will be opening up the prelims. Anything else that you're looking for, either in the early prelims or, or in the prelims? Does, yeah, the other interesting fight for me as well is um, Maxime Grishin and Marcin Tibora. <clears throat> now, it's weird because Grishin obviously coming in at heavyweight, people will know him from his PFL days at light heavyweight. But it's interesting because the first half of his career, he was a heavyweight fighter. So he, you know, moved down to light heavyweight probably just to be the bigger fighter. So he's not going to be a stranger to these big guys inside the cage. And he's really experienced as well. And even, again, even though he's Russian, um, he's more of a kickboxer rather than a wrestler. So it's really going to be interesting of how he deals with Tibora because I think Tabor is going to be heavier. I believe they're both the same height, but I think Tabor is going to be the heavier fighter. But I worry for Tabor with uh, with strikers. I really do. Against Spivak in his last fight, it was a perfect fight for him. Um, but against Grishin, who does have nice striking, he is accurate and he does hit hard as well. I think uh, I think we might see another knockout on Tabor. And it, it's a, it's weird with Tabor because I don't think he has many miles on the clock. And he's only 33 as well, which is young for a heavyweight. But he does look like he's, I don't know whether he's declining or whether we've just found his, uh, you know, his, his sort of ceiling. And when he fights the bet, the, the upper echelon fighters, you know, he, he tends to lose when he fights the, the lower guys. He tends to get the win. But I'm excited to, for this fight to see how, see how it plays out, how good uh, Grishin is. He's part of the ACMAT team as well. So, you know, all those guys are, are solid and bring it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that fight at heavyweight. An absolutely stacked card. That fight that you mentioned, uh, Tybora versus Christian, will be the main uh, card of the early prelims on ESPN, uh, excuse me, on UFC Fight Pass. That starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Then we have prelims at 8 o'clock on ESPN and ESPN Plus. And then, of course, the main card starting at 10 p.m. Eastern. So, safe to say, we'll all be glued to our uh, TVs on Saturday. Um, in terms of your process, what you do, uh, I know that you have a background in martial arts uh, dating back to a couple decades here. So I'm sure that that informs um, part of what you look for when you are betting on MMA. Um, how much of, of your background is, is part of, of the, that helps you look for value and, and you hopefully seeing things that maybe other people don't see? Well, it's funny because my background is actually in um, Taekwondo. So I was a black belt by the age of 13. Um, then I moved on to kickboxing um, and then, you know, being young, you go down the wrong path as, as many people do. So I actually stopped doing martial arts from around the age of 15 to I think it was 17 or 18. And then, you know, my brother came in one day when I'd just woken up in my bedroom, threw his laptop on me and it was Anderson Silva, Patrick Cote. And uh, he said, you've got to watch this. So I, I was looking at it and I was like, wow, I've got to do that. So I did move into to mixed martial arts. I had a few injury issues, though. Um, and I was also to and from university at the time. My, my goal was to be a fighter and my university degree was going to be my backup. Um, 
but then I had a daughter as well um, not so long after that so a few things got in the way but he, the reason I've just told you that is because it's funny that my background actually originated in, in striking but it's the wrestling and the grappling that I see very, very clearly uh, in MMA. Not that I don't see striking clearly, of course I do, like I say, I was a black belt at the age of 13, but the, it's, it's weird that it's the wrestling and grappling that I've actually done less of in my life that I picked up really, really quickly. And, you know, from, from that perspective itself, you know, it's, I find it very easy to see value and very easy to, sometimes with striking, it can be a little bit, um, it can be a little bit difficult to tell what sort of level somebody is at because if they fight um, an opponent that isn't quite at their level, the striking can just look unbelievably enhanced. Whereas grappling, even if there's a mismatch of a fight, you can still see the sort of transitions and, and how they're moving and how they're handling themselves on the mat, whether they're on top or bottom. And you can almost see past the fact that it's a mismatch. And for me anyway, and I can just see Chris, like crystal clear the, the raw skills of the fighter we, you know, without having that competitive matchup. So it can be a little skewed sometimes in, in regards to striking. So you have to be careful. Um, but again, if you do enough research on, on both fighters, you'll come to a, you know, if you can read this sport quite well, you, you'll come to a um, a good conclusion of where that fight is at. It's just with grappling and jujitsu, I just, I, I can see that raw talent a little bit quicker than what I can with the striking. Absolutely. And I'm sure that that background helps you in terms of picking these fights and um, finding value. And that's what's most important. So just to wrap it up, we talked about a lot of different fights on Saturday night. Tell me the one fight, the one moment, the one thing that you're looking forward to most uh, on Saturday night. I'm looking forward to the first five seconds of Kamar Roosman and Jorge Masvidal. You know, the last time, uh, the last time Masvidal fought, well, the only time in Masvidal's career, and this is another thing, the only time in Masvidal's career that he's fought anybody as close to the level of wrestling that Kamar Roosman possesses was Ben Askren. And look what happened in the first, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, Masvidal's management will want me to say four seconds, rightly so. Uh, but yeah, the, the first four seconds of, of that fight is going to be interesting. Um, I wish I'd saw more of that Askren fight, I'll be honest. But yeah, the, the, first, the, first, opening, the first opening round, shall we say, of the, of the main event, I'm, I'm stoked for because I think Masvidal's just going to do something crazy again. I don't know what it is. He'll only know, his coaches will only know, but we'll see. No, I've, I've interviewed Masvidal before. He's a thinking man's fighter. He has a lot, of, uh, a lot of things in the bag of tricks, as he likes to say. And it will be interesting to see what he does. Even against Diaz, he sprinted towards him, almost hinting at he, he was going to go for another flying knee. He didn't end up doing it because he didn't see the right thing. But we'll see what happens uh, in this fight. So just to close it out, uh, we wanna th I want to thank you so much for your time and your analysis. Where, remind people where they can find you online. Yeah, first of all, I want to thank you as well for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun and I'll, I'll come on again if you want me on. Um, Absolutely. And anybody can find me at noosum underscore MMA on Twitter. Um, the, if you want to get my picks um, every single week, you can go to MMAplay365.com. We've got handicapper packages there, which like I say, we cater for long-term gamblers. Uh, we cater for fun gamblers that like the long shot parlays or, you know, they like to create their own long shot hackers, parlays, sorry, we call them hackers in the UK. Uh, or if you just want to follow exactly what I bet on, that's all in one subscription. 
So you can go on to MMA Play 365 and one subscription, you get all those three things. So it doesn't matter what type of gambler you are, there's going to be value in there for you. And we've just launched our daily fantasy sports packages as well. We've brought in one of the top DraftKings guys. He's going to be providing strategies for DraftKings and FanDuel. He's already produced a 16,000-page document um, for, his la- for the live chat room that we've got on Discord. So if you play fantasy sports with the UFC, you're 100% going to find value in that as well. So all that's over at MMA Play 365 if you want all our advice, predictions, picks, whether you're, at, whether you're a better or whether you play fantasy sports, that's your place to be. And uh, yeah, that, that's about it, man. Adam Newsom, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for breaking it down. Enjoy the fights on Saturday. It was a pleasure to thank speak you. with you. And I hope that we can do it again soon, my man. 100%. And if you made it to the end, thank you so much for listening. Check out squaresandsharps.com for sports betting apparel and gear. It's what winners wear. I am your host, Karen Batia. Thank you so much. If you want to follow me on my personal channels, it's at Karen Batia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. I hope that you learned a lot about UFC 251. You found some opportunities for value, and I hope you get to sit back and enjoy this stacked card from Abu Dhabi. Thank you.